You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Well, here we are, uh, Easter 2022. Have you made it this far? You, you did it. The hard part's over, right? You got here. You found the other missing shoe for your child. Um, you afforded gas to get here. Like, that is no small feat. So congratulations. Uh, I'm really, really grateful and excited that you're here to worship with us tonight. Whether you're watching online today or you're here in the room, um, I believe we are celebrating today, the most important event in human history. Um, and uh, I know that sounds like a lot of hype, right? But I, I really believe that. And, and I'll explain why here in, in just a few minutes. Um, so I, I recognize on a day like this that we've got a lot of people in the room who maybe normally don't attend Mountain View Church or maybe attend any church uh, very often. And so uh, let me first just introduce myself, okay? My name is Mike Klein. I'm the lead pastor of this wonderful place. Um, at least I think it's pretty wonderful. You can decide for yourself, before, you know, you can, you can figure it out on your own and tell me what you think. Uh, I don't know if there's a Yelp for churches, but if there is, you can like leave a review or something. Uh, but like, regardless of why you're here today, and I realize there could be a lot of reasons for that, right? Like, like maybe you knew it meant a lot to mom, um, or, or your spouse. And so like, rather than argue about it one more time, you thought, you know what, let's just get in the car. Like, let's just, uh. Let's just get to church, you know, or um, maybe a friend invited you, coworker invited you this week, and you thought you'd be polite. You're like, I'm just going to say yes. And now you're kind of wondering why. Like, should I have said yes to that? I don't know. You know, or, or maybe there's a cute girl or guy you know goes to this church. You thought, like, if you came, it might increase your chances at romance. Uh, you know, look, no judgment. No judgment for me. That's pretty much the only reason I ever went to youth camp growing up as a teenager. It was to meet women, okay? And here's the deal, though. I ended up a pastor. So, <laughs> joke could be on you, depending on how the next, like, <laughs> let's see how these next 30 minutes go. You might, uh, you might realize that you made a big mistake. Uh, no, uh, I, I just know that, I, I know walking into a church for the first time could be kind of different, you know? It could be kind of, kind of intimidating, maybe, um, for some of us. Like, you know, what if I don't know any of the songs? And some of you are sitting here already. And you're like, yeah, I didn't know any of those, you know? And, and how should I dress? You know, am I going to be overdressed? Am I going to be underdressed? Like, I don't know. You know, what if the person who invited me is playing a trick on me and everybody's wearing a suit? Like, they told me he'd be, preacher would wear jeans and, you know, they were right. They didn't lie to you, okay? You're, you're good. You're dressed appropriately. Uh, our, our one rule at Mountain View is that you wear pants uh, <laughs> or a dress, all right? But like, you have something on the bottom. That is our dress code, okay? Um, but there's just, there, yeah, I mean, why do you think the room's so full, Jim? You just, I mean, it's exciting, right? Uh, but, you know, I, I just, I get it, right? There's a lot of questions, and, and there's a lot of, a lot of pressure um, to go to church if you don't normally go to church. And you might think you're the only one feeling that today, but let, let me let you in on something. 
I'm feeling a lot more pressure than you today. I promise you, because I don't know if you realize this, but Easter comes every single year. Did you know that? Every March, April, I already looked, 2023, guess what? It's there. It's going to happen again. And I'm the guy that has to stand up here every single year and talk about a story that most of you, not all of you, but most of you have heard about a bunch of times and think, "Ah, I've kind of heard it all before. I kind of know how this goes. That's a lot of pressure for me. So I think, well, okay, what, what, what do I do with that pressure? One option is to really hype it up, right? Like we're going to go bigger and better every single year. Um, and so churches, churches sometimes try to do that. And so I, I saw a church this week who, completely different part of the country, okay? So you've never been to this church, I guarantee it. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to disparage anyone, but I just, I saw it. And they're renting a helicopter, okay? And they're dropping the 100,000 Easter eggs from the sky, like all over their town. They've got this live petting zoo thing happening for the kids. They've got homemade ice cream being like churned in the lobby as you go out. And I just thought that and I go, can someone else preach for me this Easter? I kind of want to go visit that. Like, I can't compete with that. Like, what am I supposed to do with that, right? And so uh, my idea, by the way, my idea was that we would we would scrap the photo booth area, which is just right around this corner. It looks awesome. You should stop, get, get a picture with your family before you leave today. But, but my thought next year was that we'll scrap that. And instead of a photo booth area, we'll have a table down and we'll do a live tattoo parlor. Huh? That'd be memorable, right? Everybody like, he is risen. Like just like right on. The board voted me down. They were like... Can't do that, Mike. Can't do that. So, but I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to so next year. Make sure you come up with something you can roll quickly, right? Because uh, I'm going to keep trying for that. But there, it's true. Like there's this pressure um, to really go all out and, and impress people on, on Easter. Maybe you're feeling that pressure, like to want to impress the church or impress people. You know, the person who brought you. Or and I'm feeling that pressure. Like I need to impress you because you're here. Because then with my message, right? I need to be creative, but I need to be truthful. Uh, it would be helpful if I was a little bit funny, but not like too over the top. I don't want to be shallow. And I've got to tell the whole story, but I need to do it in 30 minutes or less, or I'll lose you, or I'll make you late for your dinner plans or, or whatever it is, right? That's a lot of pressure. Anybody else stressed out yet just thinking about this? You're like, this is not the Easter message that I <laughs> thought I was going to get, right? This is not very hopeful. Here, here's the deal. Okay, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, I hope you'll remember this. I hope you'll take this home with you. That because of Jesus, the pressure is off. The pressure on me and the pressure on you. In fact, I would say that the empty tomb is the great released valve that your soul is desperate for today. The pressure is off. And so to get where I'm going with this, we need to back up. Okay, we're not gonna start at the empty tomb that you might expect. We're not even gonna start at the cross. We're actually gonna start in a garden, right? We're gonna start in the garden. In Mark chapter 14, if you have a Bible and you wanna turn there, you can. If, uh, if you use the Bible app as well, you can click on events in the Bible app and it will actually take you to all of these scriptures and notes. Everything is in there in your phone if you wanna join us on that as well. But in, in Mark 14, Jesus has just wrapped up a really important meal with his disciples, his closest friends and followers. Um, we call it the Last Supper, mostly because of a famous painting, but it was actually attached to what was known as the Jewish Passover. 
It's a very, very important meal that they would share um, where God dramatically rescued his people from, from bondage and from slavery in Egypt. And so during that meal, during the Passover meal, Jesus makes some pretty wild claims, right? They don't sound wild to us because we're not Jewish and we wouldn't understand the significance of what he was claiming. But essentially at that Passover meal, Jesus says, um, when you celebrate this from now on, it's not just going to be about the deliverance God did thousands of years ago. It's actually going to be about me. That would have been a huge claim. And then it gets a little weirder uh, because at one point he, he grabs a cup, has some wine in it, and he actually points the disciples to it. He says, this cup, this wine, um, this is my blood, which is going to be shed for you. And then he grabs the bread, right? And he, he breaks the bread. You, you might have heard this. And he makes his claim. He says, the bread, the bread is my body. Right? The wine is my blood. The bread is my body. That's kind of different. That would be weird. And then after that meal, they head out to a spot that Jesus visited often. Uh, it, it's, on the, it's a small garden on the lower slopes of what we call the Mount of Olives. So Jesus goes there in the garden in Mark chapter 14. And here's, here's how Mark tells the story. It says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. We'll come back to that. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So to really understand what's happening here, we need to know something about this garden and the name of it. Uh, we pronounce it Gethsemane, right? The Garden of Gethsemane. But you're a smart crowd. I can just tell by looking at you. you. You look at that word and you go, that's not English. That's weird. And you would be right. See, you are smart. Uh, Gethsemane is actually uh, two Hebrew words that have been uh, put together, right? So the first word is, is gath, which means press or push. And the second word is shemanim, which means oils or, or fats. Gath Shemanim, Gethsemane. So where does Jesus go to pray right before he's arrested? Because that's what happens next in the story, by the way. The, the soldiers come, they arrest Jesus, he's put on trial, and eventually he's crucified. So that, that explains why he's so distraught here. Because the time is coming for him to die, and he knows it. But where does Jesus go to pray? He goes to a garden named the oil press, Gethsemane, Gethsemanim. I want to I want to show you a picture, right? Let, let, let me show you a picture. So this this picture here is of an ancient olive press. Okay, remember the garden is on the southern slopes of a mount called the Mount of what? Olives, right? The Mount of Olives, which looks different today, by the way. You can go there today. If you visit Israel, Mount of Olives, still there. I don't know if you know this, but mountains don't move very easily. Uh, 
<clears throat> unless Jesus speaks to them, but that's a whole other thing. So there's still a Mount of Olives there. It's changed. It's actually become a really popular burial ground um, because of some Jewish beliefs about the end times. Um, but you can still go today and you can visit these places that the Bible talks about. Let's leave that, let's leave that picture up there for a little bit. So in, in biblical times, um, olive oil was a hot commodity. And it was used for all sorts of, there were, there were different grades of, of olive oil. So the best, like the, the purest of the pure oil was used to anoint kings. And, and to, it was used in different like religious uh, uh, sacraments and, and, and things like that. So that would be like your A grade, right? Your next grade down, your B grade, if you want to call it that, olive oil, was used for medicinal purposes. They believed it had healing properties. And so they would mix it into different ointments and, and different healing uh, medicines. And then the cheapest oil, your C grade, I'm going to call it that, is, was for everyday use. Right? It was for cooking. Uh, it was used to light lamps, oil lamps, so that you could see at night, you know, these kinds of things. So there's quite a demand for olive oil. It played a big part. In fact, all through Scripture, you see olive oil mentioned in, in different ways. So the way, the way olive oil was produced is they would take the olives and they would put them in a giant stone trough, like the one you see here. And they would take a stone, this large, heavy stone you see in the picture, and they would roll it over the olives. And sometimes they would even put a pole through it. They'd have a hole. If we could turn this one on its side, there'd be a hole, and they would stick a pole through it, attach that to like a donkey or an ox, and they would have that walk around in circles, crushing those olives over and over. And then the oil that would come out from that process would go down a spout that was carved in the stone, and they would collect that oil to use or to sell. This is how they would do it back in those days. So the goal, if you're, if you're still tracking with me, the, the goal wasn't to destroy the olives. The goal was to exert just the right amount of pressure to get the oil out, to extract the oil. The olives served their purpose when they were crushed. They served their purpose when they were crushed. Jesus could have spent that night anywhere. He could have stayed in the upper room with his friends. We know he had other friends in a nearby village. He could have went and hung out with them for a little bit. But he didn't because everything Jesus said and did was intentional. Jesus never wasted a second of his life. And Jesus chooses the night before his arrest and trial to go and pray in the garden of Gethsemane, the oil press. Hundreds of years before this moment, Isaiah, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, talked about what the life of the Messiah, the one who was going to come and, and save Israel and save the world, what the life of the Messiah was going to be like. It wasn't a pretty picture. Right, Isaiah chapter 53 says, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. For all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. I think in the garden, I think Jesus is feeling all of that. 
Right? He's feeling the weight, the, the pressure, right? Not just of what's going to happen, not just what's around the corner, but also the pressure, the weight of our sin, of our lives in the balance. In fact, Luke records that in that garden, Jesus, as he was praying, began to pray so fervently and with such distress that his sweat became like drops of blood. That's how much he was agonizing over this moment, over you and me. In fact, he even asked the Father to take the cup from him, right? When Jesus says that, he's referring to what was known as the cup of suffering. He's saying, I don't want to suffer. I want you to take this cup from me. But then, but then Jesus has this change and he, he surrenders to it, doesn't he? Right? Take this cup from me. No, no. God, not what I want, but what you want. And he lays down his will and he surrenders it again to the Father, just like he had done every hour of his life up until that point. Because this was always the plan. Jesus knew he was born to be crushed. That was his purpose. Now, I know that's kind of a grim idea, right? In Easter, it's like bunnies and chocolate and egg hunts and like get dressed up in your pastels. How did I do, by the way? Did I do okay? All right, sweet. It's the same shirt I wear, I think, every year, so it didn't matter, right? Like Easter is his happy time. This doesn't sound like a happy message, but if Jesus is the Messiah Isaiah wrote about, and, and Jesus certainly believed he was, and I believe he was as well, then this is really good news for you and me, that he was born to be crushed. That means the pressure's off for you and me. Um, kind of change the directions for a second. Do, any fans of Encanto, the movie? Encanto fans in here today? Okay, I'm going to spoil it for a lot of you, sorry. Uh, it's a huge hit in our house. It's, it's one of the latest Disney movies that's out there. And in our house, we have young ones. And so it, it seems like we went from Frozen to Moana to Frozen 2 to Encanto in like a week. It wasn't a week. Like there's a couple of years in there, but it like soundtrack wise, it feels like we just went right through there. Um, if you haven't seen Encanto, I actually, I'm not going to spoil it for you, I promise. But one of, one of the things that stood out to me as we watched it, and we, we went to the movie theater when it first came out, as I watched the characters and their, and their storylines, one of the things that hit me was the tremendous weight that all of them carried, right? The tremendous weight that they carried. And, and I think a lot of us can relate to the burdens that a lot of the characters lived with. So one of them, for example, her, her name is Isabella. And Isabella is the, the perfect one, right? She's always got to be perfect. She literally, like flowers, like just come out of her wherever she goes, uh, she's got the perfect boyfriend and she's going to have the perfect marriage and her hair is always perfect. And all. She lives with this weight of always having to appear to have it all together. Then you have Camillo. I feel bad for Camillo Cam because Camillo's gift, right? All the people have gifts. Camillo's gift is shape-shifting, which means that Camillo never really knows who he is because he's always pretending to be somebody else. But what's Camillo's identity? That's a tremendous burden to live with. And then there's Louisa. Uh, Louisa is the strong one, right? She literally carries the weight of her family and her town on her back. But underneath the surface, she worries that she's worthless and has questions about her purpose. 
In fact, I want you to listen to these lyrics. For my money, this is the best song in the whole movie. I know everybody doesn't want to talk about Bruno, but I think this movie, I think, I think this is the best song. I think this is the best song, right? It's called Surface Pressure. She says, if I, and this is Louisa, the strong one. She says, if I could shake the crushing weight of expectations, would that free some room up for joy or relaxation or simple pleasure? Instead, we measure this growing pressure like a drip, drip, drip that'll never stop. Pressure that'll tip, tip, tip. Yeah, you're, you're listening. Till it just goes pop. Whoa, oh, oh, okay. It's, and it's got that, and that's the thing, right? You listen to it and you're like, oh, yeah, pop. It's got this groove to it. And then you read the lyrics. And it, it's an animated movie for kids, right? It's a Disney movie, but I was so glad we were in a dark theater because I sat there and listened to that song with tears in my eyes. You ever felt that way? Like, you ever felt like the weight of the world was on your shoulders? That if one more thing got added to your plate, you would pop? Or that on the outside, you looked like you had it all together, but you knew on the inside what a fake you were because you felt like you had nothing going on, like, you, like it was just going to all fall apart. Some of us, we live with the pressure to be morally perfect, right? To do everything right. You ever, you ever lived with that one for very long? How's that going? I do pretty good for like a day or two, maybe, like a week, and then I inevitably mess up. I do something I shouldn't, I say something I shouldn't, I hurt somebody that I really love, that I claim that I love, and then I feel ashamed. Sometimes I don't even do anything wrong, right? Like sometimes it, it's something I've done or said gets taken the wrong way. I didn't even mean it that way, but the, the other person takes it that way and, and I get canceled. It's like, I'm done with your friendship. And you're like, wow, I'm just gonna throw it away, okay. That's how we, that's how we operate in our culture. What about like Camillo? I think a lot of us live with the pressure to try to figure out our identity and our purpose. We don't really know. And the thing is, is you actually used to figure out who you were. It was something that was given to you. Um, you were who your parents or your family system told you you were. That's how it was for hundreds and hundreds of years. Or you were who God told you that you were. And, and now we live in a culture and a time where you need to figure out who you are on your own. It's up to you. Just make it up as you go, or I don't know. Hopefully, you read the right book or listen to the right podcast, and you now you know what I what identity to assume. And, and the, it's exhausting. And the reason why it's exhausting is because once you think you figured out who you are, you have to curate that image twenty four seven, and make sure everything lines up to that image. And then you need to make sure that everybody else applauds that image that they see in you. It's a lot of energy. It's tiring. And then there's the pressure of our mortality. We don't like to think about this one. But then someone we love passes away. Or we go to the doctor and we get a diagnosis we didn't see coming. And then that thing we didn't really want to think about most of our life is now face to face, right? And we start wondering, is this all there is? What happens when the lights go out? And I stopped breathing. What, what's on the other side of that? 
Listen, Jesus takes all of that weight, identity, morality, mortality, all of those things. He carries all of those things with him to the cross and into the tomb. And he is crushed by that pressure so that you and I don't have to be. And the oil that comes out of Jesus, his, the oil that comes out of his death is his blood, which is our life. His death is our life. Here's what Peter says, right? First Peter chapter three, verse 18. This is the New Living Translation I'm gonna read. It says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. This is a huge point of difference uh, between Christianity and other religions, right? Most religions put the pressure back on us. If you want to be right with God, if you want to find life when all this is over, then you got to do all the right things. You better make sure you dot all your religious I's and cross all the T's and like don't mess up. Like, because if you do, if you don't do all the right things, then you're going to miss it, right? You're going to miss out on God's blessing and his favor in your life. Maybe even worse, God's going to punish you forever. That is how, mo- not all, but how most religions think about morality and, and spirituality. Uh, there's even a, a character in Encanto that kind of operates with that mentality. If, you, if you've seen it, Abuela, the grandma, She's, she's trying to hold the whole family together. She's worried there's this, this magic candle. She's worried the magic's going to run out and the house is going to crumble and the whole town is going to be doomed. And so at one point in, in the opening uh, song in, in the movie, she sings these lyrics. Listen to this. We swear to always help those around us and earn the miracle that somehow found us. We got to earn it. Oh man, we, we got to make sure we do everything right or the candle's going to go out and the whole town's doomed. We've got to earn the miracle. Some of us, that's how we think about God. That's our vision of Christianity. And we have to earn his love. We have, to do, we have to do everything right if we're going to earn salvation. And listen, I would never want to talk smack about someone's grandma, but Abuela's way off. Somebody needs to check on Abuela. She's not good. She's wrong. She's got it wrong. The Bible teaches the exact opposite, that Jesus has already done everything necessary. He's already done all of the work. He took the initiative. He came for us. He, came, he did what we could not do for ourselves. The pressure is off. Are we, we do something with me tonight. We just take a big, deep breath in. Let it out. The pressure's off. You don't have to read the whole Bible first. You don't know, how to, don't know how to pray. You don't have to figure out how you're going to clean up your act enough for God to like you. Look, if you ever doubt how much God loves you and what he feels about you, all you have to do is turn and look. And here's your answer. This is how much God loves you. This is how much he likes you. Even when you aren't that likable. This is it right here. Now, the story doesn't end there. This is Easter, right? We did Good Friday yesterday. Jesus is put in a tomb and then this giant stone is rolled in front of the entrance. And again, my mind goes back to the olive trough 
Did you see that picture? This giant stone rolls. Make sure nobody can get in and steal the body. And then Luke records what happens next in this incredible story. This is Luke's version of what happens next. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found that stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. See, the cross is good news. The empty tomb is even better news, right? Because, I mean, forgiveness is great. Don't get me wrong, but I still don't really want to die and that be it. (laughs) I'd like there to be something more than that, right? Because if the tomb is empty, and if Jesus is alive, then not only can I be forgiven, but the the pressure of my mortality has been released. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this guy named Paul who used to hate Christians until he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus. Here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who long belongs to Christ will be given new life. Do you, do you get this? Like, do you understand why this is such good news? Right, Paul says you and I can stop trying to figure out how we're going to get out of life alive. You won't. Me neither. Right, 10 out of 10 people die. Undefeated. 100%. Pretty good batting average, right? All-star. 10 out of 10. No matter how much money you spend, that's the thing, right? We, we're trying to always advance and keep people alive. Long. Like, doesn't matter. Like, at the end of the day, 10 out of 10 people die. But Paul says on the other side of death is an offer of life. And it's not like a redo. It's not reincarnation. It's, it's not like, hey, you get another shot to just live the same life that you just finished the life that had pain and suffering and all that involved. No, it's a brand new quality of life where all of the things that make this life crummy don't exist, where pain and suffering aren't welcome and cancer isn't spoken about and abuse doesn't happen and injustice doesn't happen and all the things of of this world that we just go against don't exist in that life. thing is, is you can't get there on your own. And that's hard for us because we love to be in control, right? We kind of want to do it on our own. That's the way we're wired. But you can't read enough books or listen to enough podcasts or, you know, just develop enough healthy habits and maybe I can resurrect myself. Good luck with that. I'm so grateful because that's a lot of pressure. I'm so grateful that Jesus has done it for me. I don't have to figure out how to do it on my own. And the blood was poured out. He died my death. So not only can I be forgiven, but I can be raised to life with him. That's the story of Easter. 
how does that happen? It happens by putting your trust in Jesus. For you saying, I can't do it on my own. I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to put my trust, I mean, I'm going to put my faith, I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to admit my need for him. And I'm going to believe he paid my debt and he died my death to bring me home to God. And I'm going to put my trust in that. I'm going to start living for him. That's, that's what salvation means. That's, that's what it looks like. So here's how we're going to end today. We're going to sing one more song. Um, I love this song so much. I'm probably going to cry. I'm in the front row, so you can't see me. So I'll cry all I want, right? <laughs> As we sing, right, maybe you're here today and you're ready to come home. You're tired of carrying the pressure of life on your own. You're tired of trying to figure out how you're going to get out of life alive. And today is your day to trust in Jesus and to say what he did, I believe, was for me. And I want to follow him. Okay, I want to give you an opportunity to respond that way. And I'm going to ask you to do something that's pretty brave. It's funny because this whole message is about not putting pressure on you. But I'm going to ask you to do something that, that takes a little bit of guts. Okay. Um, I've got a jar of olive oil up here. One of the uses of oil in the Bible was to, to set things apart as holy. They would use it in the temple and they'd sprinkle on things. And this thing has been, has been dedicated to God. This thing has been made holy. Right? We're going to lower the lights down. The band's going to play. If you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, right, the one who was crushed and raised for you, I want you to come down at any point during this song. And I'm going to take a little bit of olive oil. I'm going to anoint your forehead. And I'm going to pray for you. I know that takes guts. No one may respond. That's okay because the pressure's off on me. It doesn't matter about me. It's about what Jesus has done for you. But I want you to just respond. I'm not gonna stalk you after service. We're not gonna make you stand up and say something in front of everybody else. But if God's speaking to you and you go like, man, I need to come home. I wanna come to Christ this morning. I'll be right here. I'll be waiting for you. Let's sing.
our bad days have an expiration date. 